District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special Wednesday broadcast of District of Conservation. We're going to keep things local here in Virginia, actually, Northern Virginia, because if you care about the environment, but also about your taxpayer dollars, you have to be kind of concerned about proposals like rain taxes. So we have Councilman Sangi of the Fairfax City Council, which has just mulled and voted on from what the councilman told me on a rain tax. But first, I want you guys to get to know the councilman. He's really kind of an up and comer in Virginia politics. I've enjoyed connecting with him and following him for a while and we're not too far from each other and he has a really interesting background. So councilman, before you talk about what happened with the rain tax, introduce yourself and and discuss your background. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Gabriella. This is a great, um, big fan of your podcast. You have a lot of interesting guests and topics and uh, I enjoy it, so uh, appreciate being here. Um, well, so for starters, I was elected to the Fairfax City Council in 2018, and so this is my second term right now. Uh, I my background is that I'm a I'm a government guy. Uh, I've worked in on Capitol Hill and um, politics for a long time. Uh, I also have a background in the military. I, I'm still currently a serving uh, lieutenant commander in the Navy Reserve. Uh, got my commission from the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy got my law degree from George Washington University and my master's from the Naval War College. Um, but it's, it's come a long way for, uh, for an immigrant child. Uh, my family and I moved to the U.S. when I was four years old. Um, so uh, we're, we're very proud to be a part of the military and we're very proud to be able to contribute to our community and on the local level and also nationally um, on Capitol Hill and in our politics and our discourse. It's, it's quite an honor to be able to do that. What propelled you to run for city council two terms ago? Well, so I guess that's part of it is that my whole adult life has been dedicated to public service in one way or another. And, uh, you know, just constantly looking for different ways I can serve. And one thing that's so great about local politics is that you can see immediate reactions and immediate uh, changes to um, the things that you work on. Whereas on the national level, it's very slow, as you're aware. Uh, Things can take years, decades, or lifetimes to accomplish one thing. On the local level, it's so important that even though people might not pay so much attention to it is that you do one small thing, it can change a whole family's budget for the rest of their entire life. Um, and that, that could have reverberating effects that no one can really fully measure. And I think that's a, such an important thing that people keep their local government so accountable. And I felt that it was a calling to ensure that I made sure that I was there at the table and, and, and keeping an eye on things. And you were most recently the top vote getter of all the council winners. Is that correct, too? I remember seeing that. That was really awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, actually, that, that happened two, uh, two elections in a row. My first election for city council also came in as a top vote getter. And I think part of it is that, you know, we, we're really not shy on our campaign to speak our mind. And we're not shy about um, where we stand on things. And we actually focus on a lot of things that I think matter most to people in their kitchen tables, I say, you know, these kitchen table issues. Uh, there's a lot of distractions in politics and a lot of glitz and glam that you can put on it. But when you talk about how your local tax rate is going to affect people's household budgets or, you know, whether or not the traffic congestion down your street could get created by a bad policy decision, or whether or not a new development should come in or not and change the whole fabric of your neighborhood. These are the issues I think people care about. And that's what we really focused on a lot. And it, it, I think it worked. 
Certainly. And recently you had posted obviously about your colleagues pushing in a rain tax. And this is actually not the first time a rain tax has been proposed in Virginia. I've seen other localities in my research to make sure that Fairfax wasn't the first locality to pursue this uh, interesting lopsided policy. There was also the town of Crozet, which is just outside of Charlottesville. They've kind of talked about this all over the place in Virginia and how it actually is kind of to the detriment of rural people, also to urban voters too, I think, or urban taxpayers as well. Uh, but what exactly is this rain tax that your colleagues voted on it? And what was the result of yesterday's vote? Sure. Well, unfortunately, we lost. Uh, it was a 4-2 vote in favor of establishing what they call the stormwater utility fee. And um, I dub it the rain tax because actually I have to give uh, proper licensing, uh, licensing to uh, Governor Larry Hogan, who I, I believe uh, uh, popularized that term more than I could ever, ever have done. Uh, he, he actually had that in Maryland as a campaign issue when he first ran for governor and he won and he was able to repeal that. The, the rain tax is something that the government will come and measure the amount of impervious surfaces you have at your home or your business, which are hard surfaces where there's stormwater runoff and the water that goes into you know, the streams and eventually the Chesapeake Bay watershed here. That's an important issue. Uh, we, nobody I, I've ever talked to advocates for not dealing with stormwater management. That's a very important thing to cover. It's a matter of how you do it. And right now, most people, most um, municipalities, they pay for these stormwater projects and infrastructure projects through their capital improvement pro uh, funds or through their general fund taxes. So basically, that's from your property taxes that you pay. But the city of Fairfax now has decided and it kind of originated with city staff where they wanted to find a whole new uh, funding mechanism for stormwater projects. And so they decided to create this utility fee. Now, there's a little bit of intellectual dishonesty in calling it utility. Uh, as they say that they like to use the word equitable, and they say that it's more equitable to do this way because perhaps you have a house that has a bigger driveway and a um, larger roof area, so you create more stormwater runoff than my house that doesn't have a large enough impervious area. And so they say it's more equitable that you may pay more than me. But on the other hand, uh, and they say, so you use more stormwater. Well, that's really not true because like I asked last night, what happens when there's no rain? What happens if there's a drought? Then do we all just get absolved from having to pay any of this? Unlike a utility where you may not pay Dominion very much if you don't use a lot of electricity this month uh, or Fairfax water, when you use more water, you pay more. That's not how this works. Um, for one, you and I have no control over the rain anyway, but two, even if it doesn't rain, you still have to pay. So I view it as a tax. And most importantly, it's about how government takes money from you. Uh, that's the core issue for me. Because well, if in utilities, um, the city of Fairfax and the other municipalities still have to pay their electric bills and their water bills, they actually, by law, the Virginia State Code prohibits them, prohibits municipalities from collecting a rain tax on themselves. Interesting. I didn't know that. And yet, you know, you think about all the rights of ways and think about all the impervious surfaces that government buildings hold. And frankly, I think the double whammy is that government is the one that's making the policies about what kind of developments um, and how they look and how, what they're required for parking spaces and what kind of impervious surfaces they must have. And then on top of that, they continue to build new roads or sidewalks or bike paths. And those are all impervious surfaces. 
And so when you create more stormwater runoff from there and you can't tax yourself, where does that money come from, from all that excess runoff that you need to treat? It comes from the people um, and it comes from businesses. And unfortunately for Fairfax City businesses now, which I've talked to a lot of business owners and a lot of commercial property owners, they're, they're very scared about this um, upcoming rain tax because uh, especially car dealerships, if you can imagine, their entire business model is based on one big impervious surface because they have to store the cars on the lot. And the margins on that business are very tight. And now some of these businesses will pay tens of thousands of dollars extra. The thing that's a real kicker for me, though, is that there are certain properties that we don't tax. Uh, there's no property taxes on churches, for instance, or, or American Legion halls or veterans halls, because these are nonprofits because they produce some kind of good to the community. It's a good public-private partnership of what they can provide, the services they can provide, including homeless shelters, uh, which we have one in the city of Fairfax. They're not absolved from what they call this fee because it's a fee, not a tax. So now they'll have to start paying. And some of these churches are gonna pay over tens of thousands of dollars of well, a year, hmm. which is a hard thing to ask of them during, a, during an, area, an era during the pandemic when budgets are tight for them. Yes, and interestingly enough, Maryland, which is a very Democrat supermajority, I think after Governor Hogan came in, except for maybe one lawmaker, they all revoked in the General Assembly the rain tax, which is very interesting to see that because normally I would think uh, that body would be in favor of some proposal like that, but they realized that it was not a good policy. And with respect to Chesapeake Bay funding, I think there's no controversy to, to support a clean watershed, to support that ecosystem. I fish there often. I haven't fished there recently, but it's a beautiful, vibrant ecosystem. It's seen a lot of improvement in the last years. There's the highest level of blue crabs, thankfully, because of conservation efforts. And even in the most recent infrastructure bill, they received a lot of money. I think uh, $238 million across five years, which is a historic amount of funding that they've received according to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. And even they said they don't receive these stormwater fees or these rain taxes as part of their efforts. I'm not sure about the EPA, if they take anything of that nature that's above the pale for me, but maybe I have to research to see how they would disperse that. But I don't see a connection between consideration for the Chesapeake Bay watershed, protecting it and allowing it to thrive and burdening a very small subset of Northern Virginia taxpayer dollars or taxpayers to subsidize the Bay, although there is no connection in my understanding between these taxes or this fee and conservation of the Chesapeake Bay. It seems like they just created something out of thin air. Correct me if I'm wrong there. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. And there's two things to keep in mind here. First is that uh, we should never let anyone create a straw man argument saying that if you don't uh, support these new taxes, you don't support a healthy ecosystem or a healthy environment. That That is uh, absolutely ludicrous. And you hear a lot of that. And, it's, and I think the people who think that uh, they forget they forget what the environment is, what nature is. You know, it's it's one of those things where I, you often hear about forest management. Say some people say, "Well, don't you dare touch touch a branch on one of those trees." And so, well, you know, that's actually not good for the health of that forest if you just leave it alone like that. It, you do actually have to manage these forests. And um, I, I always say say this too that the Chesapeake Bay does not really care if money is coming towards it from a rain tax or a bag tax or what other tax, a stamp tax or a tea tax, whatever you have. And it doesn't even care if you give it $200 million or $20 million. It does not care. What it cares is that um, 
the water is properly treated and that, uh, that, that it's kept healthy. So you could actually spend $200 million and have a lot of uh, overhead on the nonprofit organization or even a government agency usually, and then not do a very good job cleaning it up. Or you could spend $2 million maybe from a private donor, uh, not a one penny of government dollars and do an excellent job cleaning it up. The Chesapeake Bay does not care. The Chesapeake Bay just wants to be healthy and that's important for us. And I think that's the other thing is that we need to think about results. What, what kind of behaviors do, the, do these taxes change? Does it actually, will it actually help us to our goal that we all share? You know, and that's why we need to make sure that straw man argument doesn't come back because we all share that goal of wanting a healthy and clean environment, of course. And so how do we get the behaviors to change? How do we get the how do we get to ensure that nature is taken care of that way? And it and it's definitely not by a tax, in my view. Certainly not. I think individual voluntary efforts are a great way to get people to care about different bodies of water, sacred spaces and the outdoors. I mean, I've seen it firsthand myself. The way that you impact and change people is taking them on the ground to some place in question and then showing them how valuable it is and then getting them to voluntarily take action because you're absolutely right. Like you could appropriate a lot of money to conserve something or more so to preserve something. And what if that money is mismanaged by bureaucrats or what if that money is not dispersed to that project short uh, taxpayers are going to feel very shortchanged. I bet a lot of Fairfax city residents are going to feel very shortchanged that uh, they're going to be paying this fee, essentially a rain tax. And then maybe it won't even go to the watershed, which is likely the case <laughs> given how we know um, some municipalities can, can uh, operate in that sense. Uh, but yeah, it, I agree. There's no negotiating, you know, one or the other. And I think we've kind of seen this in environment and we won't so much dwell onto this subject, but a lot of people think you have to, I think the preservation is thinking is you have to sacrifice the economy for the environment. And we've seen in the recent past, you don't need to do that. You can balance both very well, get people to care about the environment. And I think multiple studies show when you raise the fee, whether it's incurring a tax or if you make people's electricity bills higher, they're less inclined to support, uh, for instance, like climate solutions or, for instance, conserving the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So when people are paying a premium for these projects, they're less inclined to support them because they don't see the benefits that come with it. And they see that you could support measures independent of those type of uh, burdens placed on them. Yeah, that, that kind of um, it's almost like a circular logic. Uh, for those people who are propo uh, proponents of that, because they say there's actually a credit program that's installed into this stormwater utility fee. And one of the questions I asked at last night's city council meetings were, well, what if everybody decided to do all these activities that would get them credits so that none of us pay into this fee? What would happen? And the consultant said, well, we'd have to raise the fee. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the question that begs the, that begs the question: you, you you tried your best to change behavior, and people's behavior changed to all these things you want them to do, and when they did that, that bankrupts the program. So now you have to charge them more for it. Mm -hmm. And so, in this era of uh, crazy inflation, in this era where household budgets are shrinking, and to your point earlier, there is not a place on earth where places where they have bad economics where their environment is cleaner. Only in areas where they prosper or, uh, and uh, economies are strong, do they do a better job maintaining their resources and taking care of being good stewards of their environment. Because 
that's almost ends up becoming a luxury, you know, and, and you have more resources to do that. So to take out more money from our commercial uh, businesses that are basically the economic backbone, um, not even basically, the economic backbone of our city at a time when we could take that money and ensure that we prioritize taking care of our environment. We don't want to do that. We're, we're doing this rain tax and um, I, I'm very curious to see how this experiment is going to work, but I, I think we've seen it fail in Maryland and um, I'm not very hopeful. What I do, I do have some other concerns about uh, the transparency matter because they're going to build this on our um, property tax bill. So it just comes back right as a tax bill. And most people pay this through their escrow. And usually people don't pay attention to that. They just, the, the mortgage companies just handle that for you and you just pay your mortgage bill every month. So this is, a, this is another way that government can kind of hide dollars from you. What are you going to do to highlight, let's say, the implications that stem from this? Because probably there's very limited as to what you could do unless under the city council, there's a way to repeal it, uh, maybe a referendum. I know in Virginia, we do have a referendum process sometimes, a recall process. It's a little more difficult than other states. Uh, but what feasibly do you think uh, you'll see maybe action taken from the, the taxpayers in Fairfax? Or what are the next steps? Or how are you going to continue to stay engaged in this fight? Well, I would say like like when we started talking this uh, beginning this conversation, how local politics and government doesn't usually get as much attention. And yet um, last night, the ch council chambers were full. Really? Almost every chair was filled. Wow. And uh, people stayed till 11 o'clock at night listening to all of this and waited to watch the vote happen. And they spoke, the public spoke. Um, we had almost, a, I want to say an hour and a half or so of uh, public speakers. And uh, maybe about 90% to 95% of the people opposed this. And yet the council still voted yes. Hmm. After they voted for this, uh, during the motion, it was read that this tax would start being implemented July 1st of 2022. And so the first bill will come out on December 2022, one year from now. If the there is an urgency to pass it, how come they're not implementing it <laughs> in a timely fashion? I know procedure varies, they're but it asking, gets urgent. Yeah. You're asking such logical questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry to interject, but I wanted to get that in there. <laughs> um well, and then there was a second motion that was actually provided to us uh, that one of the council members were to read, and it was to establish the rate, which was going to be $28.80 per billing unit. Hmm. Well, nobody read that motion. And I asked my colleagues on the dais and whispering to them, well, why are we not introducing this motion now that we've established the fact that there's going to be a stormwater utility? Why haven't we told the people what the rate's going to be? And they said, we don't have to vote on that right now. So I think because there are so many people, because of the heat of the moment, maybe they decided we'll just do this in a few months when the when the pressures died down and nobody's paying attention again. And this is what happens every time. I mean, it's it's not different than Congress. I mean, Congress passes midnight bills all the time at, at one in the morning, two in the morning, and you know, and God bless some of these reporters who have to wait around and hope to report it. But when they report it at two in the morning, nobody's reading that. Um, it, it's that's why to me, like you really have to be very careful in how you watch your government and, and who you put in your government. It's very true. And it seems like you have a, 
citizen model in terms of how you conduct yourself as a representative, especially a local representative, and more municipalities and city councils would benefit from transparent lawmakers like yourself. So Councilman, you, where could everyone connect with you, learn more about this issue, perhaps educate themselves? You wrote a great op-ed in the Washington Examiner. I want to definitely direct people to that, but how can people connect with you, stay engaged on the issue, and will you perhaps illuminate other Virginia localities about this? Because maybe this may inspire other ones to pursue a similar measure. And maybe maybe City of Alexandria has this. I saw something about storm water fee as well, but um, are you going to try to help other localities maybe oppose this in the future as well? Well, there are, some, there are I think, over 20 municipalities in the Commonwealth of Virginia that have a stormwater utility fee. And you can check out the rates. They're wildly varying. And even in our presentations, they projected in the next six years that our rate would go to almost $40 a billing unit. Jeez. And some of these homes, you know, uh, a regular home in the city of Fairfax might be about five to eight billing units. I looked up. Uh, I looked up some of the members uh, on the council's homes on the database, and uh, one person had about twelve to fifteen billing units. So I don't know if when they voted for it, they were maybe they were so, being so altruistic that they wanted to give more money away. I don't know, um, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, like I said, to me, it's it's the citizen model that you mentioned. For me, I didn't take this job to be anyone's boss. I, I take this job to ensure that I have. Every single person in the city of Fairfax know that they're my boss. Um, I, I, I tell my, I have a seven-year-old daughter and a five-year-old son, and my seven-year-old daughter was actually turned four years old on the date of my first election, and that was her birthday, and uh, it was quite a special moment. And so she's been exposed to government and politics a little probably too much for a little kid. <laughs> and so she, she, she knows about municipal government at the age of seven, and I remember we were grabbing one day, and she saw a uh, Fairfax City logo on the car wow. and she saw a public works person come out of the car and she said she pointed that out to me while we were driving by and she said daddy that's a, a Fairfax City public works worker and I said how do you even know these things and <laughs> and uh, she said well he works for you and I said oh it doesn't really work like that honey and she <laughs> said well you're a city councilman everybody works for you and I remember I had to pull the car over because I, I said, I saw her in her little harness with her feet dangling. And I said, what do you think that daddy does as a councilman? And she said, well, you're the boss of everyone. You're on TV. And I said, oh. you know, and, and think about that. Like, I think that a lot of people think of politics that way. I think people, um, that's a natural inclination that you, you put politicians up on a pedestal and you put them on TV and you put them on, give them a big megaphone and a, a, a you know, a place to speak and, and, that's what a lot of people might think. And my daughter did. And I had to very clearly explain to her that that's not how that works. And I said, do you know that there are 24,000 people that daddy represents? And she said, I don't know what that number means. And I said, just imagine <laughs> the biggest number you can. And I said, that's how many bosses daddy has. Daddy has that many bosses. And she was like, oh, that sounds like a terrible job. <laughs> but I, I told her that is the job. You know, and so the citizen model that you speak of is extremely near and dear to my heart. It's very important to me that it doesn't matter if it's a local level, it doesn't matter if it's state or federal level. I wish that politicians would remember that, that they are really in the bottom of the food chain and it's an upside down pyramid. Um, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's the opposite mm -hmm. because this is America and maybe in other countries where you're a dictator, it works the other way, but not here and it shouldn't. And I, 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 that's one message I always wish that people take away. Uh, when they talk to me about politics. And so thank you for letting me share that. And uh, 
people can always go to my website at www.sangyeforfairfax.com. And I encourage people to reach out and email me and um, find me on Twitter and Facebook as well. Excellent. Thank you, Councilman. It was so nice to learn about your story and hear about your courageous fight, even though you weren't victorious, to repel the rain tax. Maybe you'll have a victory in the near future. Maybe the pulse of the city will change it. Like you said, that the fact that majority were opposed to this and their views were not represented. So maybe we will hear from more about maybe some changes and maybe prevention of this going into effect. But thank you so much for speaking with me and I wish you good luck in nearby city of Fairfax and really appreciate your uh, coming on the podcast and also the simultaneous YouTube broadcast as well. Thank you, Gabriella. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds. All of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.